Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year. And each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast. And you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st. And my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com. But really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Monica Ali is the author of Love, Marriage, a Novel. Her best-selling work has been translated into 26 languages. She's the author of five books, Brick Lane, Alan Tejo Blue, In the Kitchen, Untold Story, and Now Love, Marriage. Monica is a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature and in 2003 was named as one of Granta's Best of Young British Novelists. She has been nominated for, among others, the Booker Prize, the George Orwell Prize, the Commonwealth Writers Prize, and in the U.S. has been a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award and the Los Angeles Times Book Prize. She has taught creative writing at Columbia University, where she was a visiting professor, and from 2015 to 2018, she was a distinguished writer-in-residence at the University of Surrey. Her novel, Brick Lane, was turned into a feature film produced by Film 4, starring Tanahishtha Chatterjee, directed by Sarah Gavron, and written by Abby Morgan. Sorry if I messed up all those names. Monica is currently adapting her fifth novel, Love Marriage, for television, in conjunction with New Pictures. Welcome, Monica. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest novel, Love, Marriage. 
Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I read Brick Lane, as many people have, and I couldn't wait for this book when I saw it was coming out. And you did such a great job, as you always do, of immediately like getting me into the character's head and a setting. I felt like I was in the backseat with like the the cartons of food all over me, sweating, going to the in-laws house. And like right away, you're just, you, you, you're just so good at it. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> Thank you. The towers of Tupperware. The, yes. The towers of Tupperware. Yes. <laughs> okay. Would you mind explaining for listeners what Love Marriage is about? Yes. So it is the story of Yasmin Garami, who is 26 years old. She's a junior doctor at a big London hospital, and she is engaged to be married to Joe, fellow doctor. He's handsome. He's charming. He's also rich. And he's very kind and sensitive. So he's seemingly perfect, but then he does the unthinkable and cheats on Yasmin. Then Yasmin does something which shocks herself even more, which is that she goes off and engages in revenge sex. And Yasmin is someone who's always been a follower of the rules. You know, she's a good and dutiful daughter. She's a good girl. She's a good person. You know, she's got a, a, a very strong moral compass. So this secret, because she doesn't reveal this to her fiancé, is kind of eating her up, you know, it's torturing her. But little does she know that Joe is actually nurturing an even bigger secret of his own, which perhaps we'll get on to talking about a little bit later on. But basically, at the start of the book, Yasmin is kind of pretty sorted. She's got this anxiety around the two families meeting for the first time. Nevertheless, her life's pretty sorted. And then a series of things happen, which means that everything kind of implodes and explodes all at the same time. Amazing. Well, Joe's mother is sort of, to me, she sounded like the Erica Jong fear of flying type of mom, like a feminist who is always up for discussing everything and shocking and you know, just changing all the norms around sex, basically. And poor Yasmin's mom is <laughs> so, uh, you know, you you paint the picture of how sex is just not something discussed at all at home. And you have this one image of her just dropping the other in-law's mom's book into the trash can because it's like so <laughs> racy, which I just loved. And by the way, you also have the great character for the brother who I loved the way you wrote his dialogue and how every other word was, yeah. And <laughs> and he has his own little secret going off on the side too. I feel like you have so many, how do you keep all the secrets straight? Where, how did you even come up with this family and the plot of it? And like, where did this particular story come from for you? Well, actually, I started off, I was writing two separate stories, and one of them was about Yasmin, and the other was about Harriet, who's Joe's mother. Harriet Sangster, you just mentioned, she's this kind of famous feminist icon, intellectual, academic, and she's written this memoir about her, all her lovers, all the men and all the women. It's the book that Ma, Yasmin's yeah. mother, dropped into <laughs> trash and I wasn't sure that either story was going to end up being the novel that I was going to write and then I had this 
like flashbulb going off in my head. And I thought, what if I put them together? And I mean, writing is like 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration, but this was part of the 1%, you know. I just, as soon as I thought that, I knew that was the book that I had to write. And I knew it was also going to be a lot of fun to write because Harriet is kind of larger than life and I mean I I had my fun with her but I'm also very very fond of Harriet you know at a surface level I guess it would be possible to read her or misread her in my opinion as an just just an example of white privilege you know she sort of does this kind of integration by steamroller you know that's (laughs) kind of good liberal that she is but she's also got her problems right she's She's thinking about aging. She's worrying about losing relevance. She's a single parent of an only child. Her son's about to leave home. She's struggling with loneliness. And she's also got all her demons in her background, you know, with her own family and upbringing. So, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Harriet. And Harriet's got a good heart as well, as well as being really annoying sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) She was so into the idea of Joe marrying an Indian woman that she wanted them dressed in traditional saris at the first meeting, which then was disappointed <laughs> that like they were actually just going to wear like a pretty dress. You know, the mom would wear a dress or a suit. She or wanted them, yeah, she wants she wants a nikah, which yes. is the traditional Muslim ceremony. And Joe and Yasmin had just been planning to have a really small do with a a registry office you know not a religious ceremony and Harriet is so keen to prove that she's not an Islamophobe and to out some of her Islamophobe friends that she sort of engineers she starts interfering as though she's an Indian mother-in-law you know (laughs) Yasmin was dreading this coming together with families but she was dreading it actually it turns out for all the wrong reasons because there isn't a clash of cultures right is there beginning you sort of build up this expectation oh it's going to be these two very different cultures they're going to clash but actually the very opposite happens and Harriet just embraces the Garamis and that turns into Yasmin's worst nightmare (laughs) careful what you wish for (laughs) I also loved Yasmin's relationship with her father I mean you have such a clear picture. Again, I, mean, I feel like I see all these people in my head, which is probably why this is about to be a TV show, which I want to hear more about as well. But how he just quietly calls her over and they play the game. They're both in the medical field. She's trying to be a doctor. And, you know, what playing the game of like, guess this diagnosis and how he calms her down in her most worrisome moments. It's, a, it's really a lovely little depiction of a, of a father and daughter. Tell me about that relationship. Yeah, you know, I I did an event at the British Library uh, last week for the Jaipur Literary Festival, which is the biggest, actually, it's the biggest literary festival in the world. And it takes place in Jaipur every year, but then they have this offshoot in London. And it was really interesting there because everybody with lots of people with Indian heritage and background are there. And everyone was commenting on how it's usually the sun who is the favoured one and who has that relationship with the father that Yasmin actually takes that position and the Garami household. And that's because, well, it's partly because Arif, the younger brother, 
he's a bit of a rebel. He's like the black sheep of the family. He's got a degree in sociology, for God's sake, which no, you know, is of no use to, to humankind, according to his father. So Yasmin kind of resents that she has to live up to all of the expectations. And at the same time, she's eager to live up to all those expectations. So she has this kind of very intricate relationship with her dad, where one moment she resents it and the other moment she's so proud of everything that he's achieved and everything that she is also achieving. And then the the game that you refer to actually comes from the New England Journal of Medicine. They have these case challenges you have to identify, you have to make the diagnosis from the collection of symptoms and or, and often photographs as well. So <laughs> that, that's his favourite father-daughter activity. <laughs> she gets roped into. <laughs> wow. It sounded like the way you were writing about all the medical stuff and all the scenes that take place in hospitals and everything that you had your own medical degree, which it doesn't look like you do from your bio. So tell me about how you immersed yourself in this world. And was this just like finding information on on Google? Like how how did you craft uh, (laughs) such a believable medical background with the correct terminology and all all the stuff? I I like doing research. I mean, I feel like I'm fully qualified now as a doctor. I think I I could set up a clinic and you I would know, come. I would see you. I, I'll be your first patient. <laughs> uh, I did. I did do an awful lot of research, and some of that was, you know, popular nonfiction books by doctors and nurses because that's been really quite a thing over the last say 10 years certainly in in the UK also everybody here has experience of the NHS the National Health Service whether that's personally or through friends Yasmin works in a geriatric ward my maternal grandmother was 96 when she died she was in and out of hospital and then a lot of subscriptions to medical journals and interviewing doctors spending some research time in hospitals I still get emails from subscription departments of journals like the New England Journal saying, come back and resubscribe. (laughs) I've done with with all that. (laughs) You know, the challenge with research, though, is always that you don't let it dictate or dominate. Yes. That you do the research to give you enough confidence that you can, I mean, you have to get basic facts right. And I've got doctor friends who are kind enough to check all the medical facts. But the the really important thing is to get the atmosphere, the, the, the dynamics of the hierarchy within the hospital, all of that. And that's what is, you know, in a way more tricky. And that's what I feel sort of proud of because I've had doctor you know doctors in who've been readers or in a couple of places interviewers who've just said how did you how did you get all that you know where did you get that from so yeah that's been really gratifying actually I feel like it's similar to historical fiction where you have to know everything that's happened Mm -hmm. I feel like you can always tell when a fact gets thrown in just so the author knows that you know that they know (laughs) And you're like, that's totally irrelevant. Okay, great. You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, a a student just like raising their hand out of context. 
And I think, you know, in the olden days, as my children would call them, (laughs) you know, there was something impressive about the acquisition of facts. You know, you had to go to the library, you know, you had to spend some time looking things up. I mean, now facts are cheap. Information is very, very easily available. You know, you started off by saying, well, was it Google? I mean, you know, so information is freely available, but there's an, there's an art mm-hmm. to use the information. Yes, very true. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11, and it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help, and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash moms don't have time. How do you feel about infidelity? This sort of courses through the novel. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone's ever put it to me quite like that before. Uh, Yeah. That's great. So, I mean, sex sex is the backbone of the novel in narrative terms. That is undoubtedly true. I mean, it's a novel about love and marriage, and that's the title. But there is every major turning point kind of hinges on sex in one way or another, whether that's infidelity, as you say, or revenge sex, or sexual addiction, or sexual violence, or 
questions around sexual identity. Sex is how the protagonist, Yasmin and Joe, kind of grapple with their identities or mature into those identities. And this is, you know, as you said, this is a book about secrets and lies and guilt and shame and so on. And, and sex is most often what fuels that. It's also about the converse, you know, about exploring one's boundaries, about play, about identifying your own desires. And, and again, sex fuel that but you know the question that I'm trying to <laughs> get around is when you you said how do you feel about infidelity <laughs> I thought, just sort of stumped me I think it's complicated you know that's that's and I guess that's why I'm a, a novelist because I don't have easy answers to anything really <laughs> I like exploring all the lines. I mean Infidelity equals bad, right? In big capital letters. That's generally how we think about infidelity. But in Joe's case, it's way more complicated than that because he's struggling with his sex addiction. In Yasmin's case, yes, she is eaten up by this affair that she has. And yet it allows her to really I mean she's someone who's been all uh, sort of repressing you know large parts of herself she's been organized her organizing principles have been around what other people have expected of her or what society has expected of her or what her father expects of her and it was really crucial to write I mean there's only a couple of sex scenes in the book it's not full of although there's lots of issues around sex it's it's not a 50 shades of gray it's like two sex scenes (laughs) but those those were really really key to her character development you know to who she is as a person who she wants to be who she is as a woman how she can be in this world you know what what place does she have in this world so that was it's not about the sex itself it's about what is released or explored through the sex, including, you know, having sex on her period, which is haram, you know, it's forbidden in Islam. So it it's not just a question of the, the messiness or the, you know, embarrassment that she might feel because it's the first time that she slept with this man. It also carries a really antique weight. You know, it's a sort of it brings a lot more to it about questioning how she was going to live her life and by whose rules. So I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like I'm skirting around. (laughs) (laughs) It's complicated. You just let that sink in (laughs) for the rest of the day today. And you, you know, you can email me an answer if you. Okay, so wait, first, what is the status of this becoming a TV show? Where are you? Are you adapting it yourself? Where are we in the process of that? I am adapting it myself. So it's, I mean, it's exciting. There was a an eight-way auction for the TV rights. Oh my gosh. So much fun. It's in development with the BBC. I am writing the screenplays. I mean, it's been 10 years since my last book came out. And during part of that time, what I was doing was trying to write for TV. And, and I work with a number of production companies. 
and I learned a lot and I taught yeah because I was teaching myself how to write tv scripts nothing ever made it to the screen but I really really enjoyed it I loved the collaborative process so different from the solitariness of writing a novel and now you know I feel like all of I sort of view that as my apprenticeship and now it's not been wasted because now I get to spend more time with Yasmin and Joe and it was also a much longer book in first draft mm. and some things had to be cut just for length but TV is a very story hungry medium as I'm sure that you know it eats up story so fast so for instance I had more of the Sandor storyline Sandor is Joe's therapist and I can now bring back you know those parts of the story so it's it, it's it's I'm just loving doing it I love that you said it wasn't wasted I feel like there's this this in writing, it's so it's not a straight line, right? You write all this stuff, you delete it, you write this whole novel, you don't sell it, you try this, you try that, and it feels like it's a waste. But without yeah. all those things, you can never get to the next point anyway. So I feel like people just have to be like, there is in writing, there is no such thing as wasted words, right? Yeah. 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 But it can feel like that, you know? Yes. yes. It, it, there can be. I thought I was going to feel like that. When I was writing this book, it came out in a very, very different way than previous novels in which I'd written fairly pretty tight first drafts because I edit a lot as I go along because I felt much more in control of the structure. And with this book, it just didn't work like that. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and I ended up with 240,000 words and I kept worrying. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So that we don't put people off. It's nowhere near that long now. (laughs) Oh, nobody panic. Normal um, size. It's not too, not too long. It's, a... it's normal size book. I, I thought it was going to be very painful to do all the cuts, but then when it came to it, it was not at all. I actually, I kind of relished the doing it, you know, quite aggressively and seeing cutting off the, the sort of the fat and seeing that the structure was there underneath and that, I think I just, I keep learning, as you say, you just keep learning. And what I learned from that is that it's not about my process and how my process has to work. It's about what each book needs as a process. You know, that the book kind of dictates the process. Well, I read that you were a huge book lover, no surprise, as a child and escaped into books all the time to get out of your own family and the tense situations there. And I, I completely relate, as I know many people listening, I'm sure do as well, as we all love books so much. Tell me how reading is helping you these days as you go through your wonderfully successful career and, and all of that. Are you still turning to books? Is it something that keeps you sort of grounded or just what is your relationship to reading like these days? Yeah, I think it's hard to replicate that reading experience of particularly sort of adolescent reading where you totally disappear into the text. And I think that's why I write because I do feel I get that something similar in terms of experience that I disappear and the day disappears and everything disappears. I'm just inside it. Reading is harder to I'm always reading with my critical analytical 
brain switched on and it's hard to get rid of that but then a book will come along and blow me away like I recently discovered Natalia Ginsburg and I don't know how I've got to this age without having read her before but you start reading I started with Family Lexicon which is an autobiographical novel and I just thought, oh my God, this is life-changing. You know, it was, I just could not put it down. So still, that experience is waiting and I'm always sort of ravenous for it, you know? I totally, totally understand. I just have, I have a memoir coming out very soon and in it, I sort of pay homage to all the books of the past and how each book gets me through a different part of my life and they're sort of intricately interwoven, so... Oh, how exciting. When is it coming out? What's it called? It's called Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. And um, yes, yeah. I will send you a copy. I'm trying to reach everybody who's been on my podcast to send them a, a copy mm-hmm. to say thanks. But yeah, <laughs> anyway, oh, coming, coming soon. But yes, uh, I, I feel I owe so much to books for getting me through so much and taking me so many places. And anyway, mm-hmm. speaking of what book are you writing on now? Uh, well, I'm working on the, the the screenplay, so I don't have another book in progress. I'm writing a short story for a Virago collection. Virago's my publisher in the UK. They are marking their 50th anniversary next year, and they're putting together a collection of original short stories. I'm writing something for that. And I'm working on an idea for a play, like a Ooh. stage play as well so sorry I shouldn't have assumed book I shouldn't I don't know I guess I was just it was just wishful thinking that there would be another book coming along but I'm sure at some point <laughs> yeah give me a, give me another 10 years all right I'll hang in there <laughs> last question what advice would you have for aspiring authors read it's <laughs> like three things you're going to do read read and then read I mean I teach creative writing from time to time and it never ceases to amaze me it, when there's an aspiring writer who doesn't actually read that much and I think you can't hope to be a serious writer without being first a serious reader you don't need to pay money to go on a, a an MFA you don't need to pay money to go on an evening course I mean if that if you can afford it and it benefits you, then that's great. But really, all you need, because I grew up in a house without books. We didn't have money for books, but I had a library card and that's free, you know. I don't know whether it's still free in the States, but I hope it is. <laughs> it is. Um, but if, if you could get yourself a library card, you have the key to everything that you need to to learn to be a writer. And you can do that through reading. And the other essential ingredient is curiosity. You know, fiction doesn't look inwards. You know, it's not all about navel gazing. You have to be curious about the world, about other people, about events big and small, about, you know, how a baby can startle itself awake, about what's going on in you know society or the what whether that's at a local level or an international level you just have to have a thirst I think for for finding out I love that a thirst for finding out that's perfect Monica thank you so much sorry I I threw you so much with my other question (laughs) but I really enjoyed I enjoyed the reaction so much I could just sit here and watch you you know squirm so that was awesome (laughs) 
I should have asked you how you feel about infidelity. But you didn't. So there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have to Read Books and uh, (laughs) hope to stay in touch. (laughs) Thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.